All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for uh, hanging on there. Yeah, I, you can hear me. That's wonderful. Uh, I'll go ahead and I'll open in a word of prayer and uh, then we'll, we'll get uh, to today's message. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We recognize all the good things we have uh, do come from you. And we ask as uh, we look into your word this morning that you will speak to us, that the message that uh, you have for us will, uh, will have the impact you desire to have in our lives. We, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question I have for you this morning uh, is, uh, what is your motive? What is your motive? And uh, you could uh, probably uh, need to add something to it, like what is your motive for uh, coming to church this morning? Or uh, what was your motive for uh, getting up uh, in the morning, uh, getting up this morning uh, as early as you did? You could still be in bed right now, uh, perhaps. Uh, so what, what is a motive? I uh, spent the time this morning to look at um uh, definition, I, I think this may be the Webster's uh, Dictionary, but it may have been another online one. A motive is a reason for doing something, especially one that is hidden or not obvious. Uh, we often associate the word motive uh, as a negative thing. Uh, if, uh, if I am uh, suspected of committing a crime, usually uh, one of the things the judge will look for is a motive, what was my motive for doing it? But a motive doesn't have to be bad. Um, if I was to uh, use uh, the word motive as an adjective, uh, it would mean something that is producing physical or mechanical uh, motion. Uh, the truth is we wouldn't do anything without a motive. We wouldn't get up in the morning. We wouldn't sit down for breakfast. We wouldn't uh, be coming to church right now. Everything must have a motive or you will just not do it. So motives are not necessarily bad. They are often hidden or not obvious. You, you may not know why I got up this morning. You may not know why I came to church. That's something I know, uh, something God knows, uh, but you might not know. And uh, the same goes for you. I may not know what motives you have, but you have a hidden motive, uh, or maybe, maybe not hidden sometime, uh, motives are easy to understand. Um, in uh, the girls' schools, I can't remember if, I, if I've mentioned this in the past, but it seems like uh, graduating from school uh, always becomes more difficult. I know some years ago they added a test. You actually needed to demonstrate a certain knowledge of uh, maybe math and English and, and maybe other subjects before they would allow you to graduate. Um, uh, lately, they've also added another requirement, and that is of uh, community service hours. So now in order to graduate from high school, you actually have to uh, spend a number of, of hours, I believe it's 50 hours, of 40 hours, I forget. They may have changed it over the years, uh, of community service. Okay, my girls are signaling uh, to me 40 hours. That's why I bring them here. When I preach on Sunday, they keep me on the straight and narrow. Uh, so yeah, 40 community hours. And they, they give the, uh, the students opportunities to, 
to perform these community service hours. You could do it in different, there's different things you can do, but one of the things they've offered them uh, is to come and, uh, and eat lunch and spend time at the uh, special education class or special needs class. So they have some students, uh, they may have Down syndrome or they may have other uh, disabilities that prevent them from being in the normal uh, classes. And, and they will literally spend the whole day in their classrooms. They don't even get out. Uh, okay, my daughter is signaling to me that may not be exactly accurate. But they, there is a special classroom for them, and at least some of them uh, will spend the whole uh, six hours or eight hours there at school in that one classroom, even during their lunchtime. And so they've opened uh, the, uh, it as an opportunity for other students, so I call them the normal students, to come into the classroom uh, during their lunch and uh, socialize with uh, these special needs uh, students. Uh, it's something that they need. They need the, the social interaction they enjoy when people might come in and, and talk to them or spend time with them. And Eliana heard about this opportunity and uh, she chose to go to try it out, to go to the special needs classroom uh, during lunch and uh, talk to the students there. And uh, she found she actually enjoyed it. And so she came back the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And for two and a half years, uh, Eliana has on most, um, is that accurate, two and a half years? One and a half years. One, yeah, the, sorry, the last half year we've been uh, away from school. But for one and a half years, Eliana would go there uh, more or less every uh, lunch period and spend time with the special needs students and, uh, and socialize with them. Now, there were other students that would come there because it was an opportunity to, uh, to get your um, community service done. And, uh, and so they would spend a few hours there uh, until the service was completed, right? Once they reached the 50 hours, or some of them may have said, you know what, it's just not the way I want to do my community service, and they just stopped going. And even when they were there, they perhaps didn't enjoy their time, they perhaps didn't socialize as much with the special needs students uh, as Eliana did, because they, uh, they didn't have the connection she had. She, she developed a connection, she had a, a real interest in this uh, special needs uh, students, and that's why she was there. So you see here a difference in, difference in motive. Now, we're not going to say that there was anything wrong with these other students, the other normal students that came in. They, they were doing community service. They were trying to uh, fulfill their obligation to society as they and others understood it to be. Uh, so what they did was a good thing, but they had a different motive uh, than Eliana uh, or she would have stopped going after fulfilling her 40 hours. So we see different motives uh, does lead to different results, but uh, we, we try not to uh, judge others. Uh, often, like I said, people could be doing things for different motives. Sometimes people will do things for mixed motives. You may have more than one reason why, why you're doing something. Eliana might have been 
at first doing both. She, she wanted to get this graduation requirement out of the way, and she wanted to spend time with them. So often our motives uh, can be mixed as we, are, as we are doing things. So today as we look at the passage, uh, that's one of the things we want to keep in mind, the fact that there is a motive. We will see mostly Jesus in action. Uh, we may see some, some of the disciples in actions too, and we will think about uh, motives as, as we do so. So with that introduction, let's look at Matthew chapter 15. We'll finish chapter 15 today, and we'll start at verse 29. By the way, if you're wondering why I'm wearing a jacket, uh, it's a little bit cool at the chapel, so that's my motive. It's cold enough to require me to keep my jacket on. Um, so I hope that's not too much of a distraction for you. So Matthew chapter 15 and verse 29 says, Jesus departed from there. If you remember last time he was at, uh, uh, at the region of Tyre and Sidon, he departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing and they glorified the God of Israel. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude. Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven, and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments, that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. So the first thing I want us to consider is geography. <clears throat> Look, if you will please show the uh, slide of uh, the travels of Matthew chapter 15. So we'll, we'll take a quick look here at Jesus' travels during Matthew chapter 15. Can everybody uh, see the map? Okay, great. Uh, so uh, at the beginning of the chapter, uh, we would find Jesus by uh, the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and that's where he uh, did most of his miracles. He spends most of his time uh, ministering uh, within Galilee. And then last week, we saw him traveling up north along that first arrow 
to the region of Tyre and Sidon, <coughs> where he met the woman that had the demon-possessed uh, daughter. Remember the Canaanite woman that came to him? Uh, and then uh, this week we see Jesus is skirting the Sea of Galilee, going to the opposite side of it, into a region known as Decapolis. And there he went up on a mountain and sat, and uh, the events that we will look at today happened there. <clears throat> what is significant about this is that uh, Jesus is traveling a considerable distance. Uh, in those days, people didn't travel that much. It probably wasn't unusual for people to, uh, to never go more than a day's walk from where they lived. Uh, and Jesus is going way, way beyond that range uh, in this particular travel. We might ask, what is Jesus' motive? What is his motive in these travels? Uh, as we try to answer that, <coughs> we would note that Jesus departed uh, the region of Galilee after a confrontation with the religious leaders. If you remember the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem representing really the Jewish religious authorities uh, came to him and uh, confronted him and really were trying to attack his ministry by pointing out the fact that his disciples uh, didn't wash their hands before they ate uh, food, which was a violation of the traditions of the elders. And Jesus responded to them, uh, pointed out their hypocrisy, but he also departed afterward to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So we would suspect that there may be something to do with the fact that the religious authorities were rejecting Jesus. And I think perhaps Jesus was giving them a foretaste of what would happen to them if they reject him. If the Jewish people would reject Jesus, they would lose the benefits that he came to give them. And so now they would have to spend some time without Jesus' presence. Uh, it would probably take Jesus some days, maybe weeks, to uh, travel outside of Galilee to, to uh, complete this circuit that we see him doing here. And all during that time, they would be missing him. They would be missing his teaching. They would be missing his miracles. And it would give them a time to think about the uh, rejection of him. <clears throat> Second, uh, there would be uh, beneficiaries as a result of Jesus' travels, and that would be the Gentiles. Tyre and Sidon and then Decapolis were largely Gentile regions. There would be some Jews there, doubtlessly, but most of the people there were Gentiles. And now God's blessing was going out to the Gentiles. There's a verse that... Uh, made me think about this a little bit. In Romans chapter 15, Paul, uh, probably to try to unite uh, the Jewish and Gentile elements of the church, was reminding them of the fact that Jesus came for both of them. In Romans 15, in verse 8, it says, Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, that would be the Jews, for the truth of God to confirm 
the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Uh, in the previous section, when the uh, woman that had a demon-possessed daughter came to Jesus, he said to his disciples that he was not sent except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I think he's mentioning the first reason given in these verses in Romans 15, and the fact is that the Messiah was promised to the Jewish nations. They had God's promises that he would send them the Messiah. And so Jesus came to fulfill those promises. But <clears throat> we see another uh, motivation for Jesus in his coming, and that was that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So God still was coming uh, to the Gentiles, it wasn't to fulfill uh, the promises of a Messiah to them because they didn't have God's promises, but it was because of his mercy. He wasn't limited by his promises. God felt mercy toward the Gentiles. The Gentiles stood condemned as well as the Jewish people, and they needed his salvation as well. And Jesus was thinking about the Gentiles even as he was serving in Galilee and wanted to bring them God's blessings as well. And that is why he traveled out of Galilee to the regions of Tyre and Sidon and then continued on to the regions of the Decapolis. He was uh, driven by his mercy, uh, the mercy that he felt. That was his motivation in this passage, his mercy, God's mercy to the Gentiles. Now we see the effects that his mercy has in the rest of the passage. Uh, I tend to read the news uh, in the morning, and I learned this morning that SpaceX sent a rocket carrying a hundred and uh, 43 satellites to space. This is the most ever um, satellites that were sent out to space with a single rocket, 143 satellites with just one rocket. Um, what was the motivation of uh, space, the SpaceX rocket? Well, it was uh, the kerosene and uh, the liquid nitrogen that were inside of the rockets. Uh, they ignited and they propelled all those satellites uh, into space. That was the power, that was the driving power that, uh, that launched all those satellites to space. We, we see the effect of, of the motivation uh, in the satellites that have been dispersed uh, into space and are now circling our globe. What was the effect of Jesus' motivation? His motivation was mercy. He felt mercy to the Gentiles. And uh, what was the impact of it? Well, we see that uh, great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, 
and they laid them down at Jesus's feet and he healed them. I wanted to spend a few minutes. Might be rubbing against it. I apologize for the poor sound quality. Um, I wanted to spend a few minutes thinking about the impact of Jesus's mercy uh, on those that came to him. They were lame. Uh, I think of lame as somebody who has a hard time walking. Uh, perhaps uh, they, they had a broken foot uh, or a broken knee or something that didn't heal quite right. They still had their leg with them and maybe they could put some weight on it, but it wasn't as good as the other leg and so they would be lame. Um, there was the blind. Uh, blind could be uh, people who were born blind, as we uh, have learned uh, of some in the scripture. Uh, they couldn't see. They, they wouldn't know where things were. Today we have walking sticks. We have uh, uh, dogs that, uh, that help people who can't see. <coughs> and we may have other services. We've We've learned even to do uh, surgeries to try to correct some issues. Um, the Calvary cadets are learning about uh, Fanny Crosby. She was rendered blind by uh, a person who claimed to be a doctor who thought he could uh, heal some infection in her eyes. Okay, we're gonna switch, uh, gonna switch microphones here, just a second. Okay, um, yeah, so Fanny Crosby, there was a doctor who, who thought he could heal an infection in her eyes by uh, putting uh, hot uh, compresses on her, <coughs> her eyelids, but uh, they were way too hot. And as a result, they ended up burning uh, the lens on her eyes. I forget what that's called. Is that the cornea? Uh, and, and that made her blind. Today, uh, it's possible that could have been corrected uh, with the surgery, but uh, that wasn't available at her time. There were mute uh, people who couldn't uh, speak. Um, likely, they were also deaf. Uh, depending on your translation, they were probably mute and deaf that were being brought to Jesus. And again, you can't hear and people who can't hear typically can't speak either. Today, we've, we've found that people can learn to, uh, to read uh, your speech. And, and with enough uh, training, they might even learn to pronounce words, um, perhaps awkwardly, but, but typically, uh, without that training, a person who's, who's uh, deaf will also be mute. They wouldn't know uh, what to say. They wouldn't know how to speak. <coughs> The maimed, these would be people that would be missing an arm or a leg or perhaps part of an arm or a leg uh, or both. They brought all these people at Jesus' feet. They laid them at his feet. Now, we can launch satellites into space, even up to 143 with a single rocket. We would struggle today with helping these people. Uh, and certainly in those days, it was a sheer impossibility for these lame, blind, mute, and maimed 
uh, to be made well. And yet these, these were laid at Jesus' feet and Jesus healed them. It says, so the multitudes marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole. Imagine that, missing arms and legs appearing at Jesus' touch. <clears throat> the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Uh, no wonder that they, they marveled. No wonder that they glorified the God of Israel when they saw uh, these amazing acts of healing. And we again remember that these were propelled by Jesus' mercy. Jesus was there because of his mercy. He was healing them because he had mercy upon all these people. <coughs> now, we want to recognize that Jesus' mercy goes beyond this physical healing. In John chapter 6, after uh, perhaps a similar incident where Jesus uh, healed the sick and then also fed them, the people started running after Jesus, wanting to be with Jesus so that they could have another meal. In John 6, it says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal upon him. Jesus says, look, I didn't come here to just give you food that perishes, something that satisfies you for, for uh, one day, but won't last. I came to give you the food that lasts to eternal life, for everlasting life. I came to give you life eternal. Don't miss what I really came to give you because of this food uh, that you just enjoyed. And the reason they could be assured of the fact that Jesus came to bring them everlasting life is the fact that God has set his seal on him. These miracles that Jesus was doing were designed to show the greater blessing that he came to give them. Yes, he gave them bread, but really he came to give them everlasting life, to provide them with what they need to live forever, and not just enough how to live, of what they needed to live for one day. So we could look at all these things that Jesus was doing to the multitudes, the healing he was providing as a seal, as evidence of what he really came to give them, because that is what his heart of mercy really uh, drove him to do. Uh, yes, some were blind, but the truth is we are all blind. Jesus says uh, in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We are all sp born spiritually blind. <clears throat> uh, when I uh, was going to college, I was filled with uh, the knowledge of this world, but I didn't know God. I didn't know that uh, I was separated from him. I didn't know that Jesus came into the world uh, to save me, that he died on Calvary to pay for my sins, that he rose again and he has uh, offered me uh, also a new body and a home with him for all of eternity in heaven. I didn't know these things. I was blind. 
And Jesus came to open our eyes. He came to be the light of the world to reveal God's truth uh, to us. In, uh, so that would be the blind, uh, the maimed. I was thinking of this verse. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. We are born maimed in this world. We don't realize it, but we're born with a, a dead spirit. Uh, we were created to have a relationship with God. And, uh, and yet, uh, I didn't know <clears throat> that I, I was made to have a relationship with God. But one day, um, after I, I broke up, you could say, or rather a girl that, uh, that I was interested in broke up with me, uh, a pain came into me, uh, and I eventually I recognized it as like a, a, a hole that was in my heart, and I tried to fill that with other relationships. I was looking for other women that could fill that hole that was in my heart, uh, but it was like trying to, to make a square peg fit into a round hole. It didn't work. Uh, and that hole was finally filled when I received the Lord Jesus as my Savior. And the reason for it is that hole that was exposed because of that one defective relationship revealed the fact that God made me to have a relationship with himself. But nothing would satisfy that except for that relationship with God. Jesus came to give us a new spirit that could have a relationship with God. I was maimed before, but now I have that appendage, the spirit that God designed me to have, to have that relationship with him. So as Jesus said, uh, I can have life and I can have it more abundantly. I have an abundant life because Jesus healed me, uh, uh, gave me a new spirit just as miraculous as giving a person with a missing arm a new arm. Uh, the lame, uh, I, I think of my inability to please God with the life that I lived uh, before I was saved. I, I recognized, even before becoming a believer, that there was something wrong about me, that uh, I would do whatever made me happy, uh, even if it would make somebody else unhappy. I was, I was selfish. <clears throat> and I came to the point of realizing that I couldn't stop myself from acting in this selfish way. That was my lameness. But we're told in Ephesians 2.10 that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God changed me by giving me a new heart, giving me a desire to please him, give me the Holy Spirit, so now I can actually walk in the good works that God has prepared for me. Now, I'm still not perfect, I'm still a sinner, but because of Jesus, I am able to walk uh, in good works and to live a life that pleases God. Yes, I'll, I'll turn to him when I sin and he will cleanse me from my sin, 
but he has enabled me. I am a new creation. And as a new creation, I'm able to walk in the good works that God has prepared for me beforehand. And then the mute. Uh, in 1 Peter 2.9, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I would very rarely uh, pray to God before becoming saved. There were a few instances in my life I can think of, of where something bad happened, and I would actually ask God, the God I did not believe in, to help me. But uh, I never thanked God. I never praised God before becoming a believer. But this is something that God heals us of when, when we're saved. We, we begin to see and understand God's true goodness as we this morning worshipped him at the breaking of bread. And we can, as a result... Uh, proclaim his praises. It's something we are now able to do uh, because of, of what Christ has done for us. So that is the, uh, the effect of Jesus' mercy toward us. Uh, he, he changes our lives. Uh, he propels us uh, into the heavenlies more than uh, SpaceX, SpaceX rocket. <laughs> Uh, is able uh, to do. Now, in the second passage we have today, I already read it, there's no more passages to read, uh, we see that Jesus uh, recognizes a special need. Uh, this must have been quite a meeting. I don't know if there's any other meeting like this recorded in the Gospels where the people stayed with Jesus for three days. This was an opportunity. Uh, he he came to a region he wasn't before, the region of Decapolis. Uh, people were hearing about Jesus. I, it's possible that they've heard about him, uh, particularly from the demoniac. Remember, there was a, a demon-possessed man. Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee. He healed him. And uh, the demons that were cast out of the man went into a herd of swine, and the swine uh, went into the sea and drowned. And then the people of that area ask Jesus to leave. They're afraid. And so Jesus leaves. The man wants to go with Jesus, but Jesus says, no, I want you to stay here and tell the, pe the people here what I did for you. And the man does. He stays in that region. And that's the region in which Jesus has come to now. And so many people have heard about Jesus. They've heard about his incredible power to heal. And so they've come. And and. Now they're interested in Jesus, and uh, they're interested in, in not just the healing they received or their friends received, but the healing other people received. And I don't doubt that Jesus used it as a teaching opportunity to begin to open the eyes of these Gentiles to the love of God and God's provision for them, for their salvation. And so this meeting goes on for three days. And Jesus is recognizing this is the time to end the meeting, but he also recognizes that the people that have been with him for three days have completely ran out of food and probably were already hungry. And if he would send them away, uh, they came from this. Some of them may have come from a significant distance. In fact, we're told that they did 
in the Gospel of Mark. And, uh, and so Jesus realizes he needs to, to feed these people before he sends them away. Again, it's his, uh, it's his heart of mercy uh, toward them. And, uh, but now he does something different. He is trying to get his own disciples to come alongside. He is trying to pass his motivation to them. And so he calls them to himself in verse 32, and he says to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. First, he tries to open his disciples' eyes to the reality of these people. They're hungry. They have a long way to go. We can't possibly send them away without providing for their needs. Right? He's trying to open the disciples' eyes. Now, the disciples, uh, maybe not surprisingly, said to him in verse 33, where, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? And I think when it comes to mercy, showing mercy to others, uh, we live in a world where there's great needs. And uh, often, uh, I don't want to get involved in people's needs because I don't feel I have the resources to meet those needs. If, if I get involved in this messy situation, uh, I, I won't be able to fix it. I don't have the time, uh, I don't have the energy, I don't have the financial resources. And that's where the disciples were. Where can we get enough bread in this wilderness? to feed, feed this great multitude. Uh, we are told later on that there's 4,000 men besides women and children, so the standard math people apply is, well, multiply it by, by four, right? For every man, there's a woman and two kids, probably more than two kids. 16,000 people, Jesus, we can't do it. Let's not get involved. That's their problem. Let them solve it. But Jesus doesn't let his disciples off that easily. He says, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few little fish. Probably not enough to feed them, right? I mean, loaves in those days weren't like these big honking loaves of bread. They were something like this. They would be a meal for a person or maybe a family. Not going to help with uh, potentially 16,000 uh, people. And yet, uh, Jesus uh, demonstrates to his disciples that he can provide with that. Give me your seven loaves. Give me your few small fish. And uh, he takes them. He uh, commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. And I think Jesus is here teaching us that he can take our little and he can provide uh, for those in need. Our, our lack should not excuse uh, a lack of mercy or a lack of, of compassion or an unwillingness to get engaged uh, 
in a situation because Jesus can take our little and provide completely <clears throat> for the need uh, that is before us. And, uh, and the benefit uh, to the disciples from participating is they had now a lot more. Remember, they started with seven loaves. Now they had seven large baskets of, uh, of fragments left over. And in those days, that was considered good food to eat. I know today with COVID-19, you wouldn't consider uh, eating the fragments left from uh, 16,000 people. But uh, in those days, that was, that was kosher. That was uh, good and available supply. And so uh, we see that uh, it was to their own benefit, in spite of their um, sense that they didn't have enough if they shared what they had with the multitude, they'll have nothing at all. Instead, they, they gave what they had to Jesus. Not only did Jesus completely provide for the multitudes through them, but he made sure that the disciples did not go away hungry themselves, but had uh, plenty uh, overflowing, overabundance of food. Okay, what's the application for us today? And I think as we look at God's mercy and how he is driven by mercy, uh, and he desires, he desired his disciples to uh, also be moved by mercy and driven by mercy, uh, we could uh, believe that that's God's desire for us today. He wants us to have that kind of motivation in our hearts. He wants us to, to think of others, uh, to care for others, not to close our eyes at the needs of, of those around us, but to uh, take the little that we have. I, I confess probably more than anything else, uh, I feel I don't have enough of his time, right? I don't want to get involved in other people's troubles because my time is so precious to me. And, uh, and I don't think I have enough, right? I have to go to work, I have uh, family, uh, I have my ministry at church. And the little bit of other time I have, I want to have some me time. <laughs> and, uh, and yet Jesus is encouraging us to give him what we have. And I'm not saying that these other things are not important. Uh, but probably in between uh, work and family, ministry, and, and even me time, uh, there's, there's some other minutes uh, or maybe hours that we have and Jesus is saying, give them to me. Uh, give them to fulfill that need that you're seeing. Uh, and, uh, and I will meet the need through what you give me. It, it may seem to us like what we have to offer is too little and Jesus is saying, well, in my hands, in my hands, uh, I can make a lot of it. I can do a lot with, uh, with what you're willing uh, to give me. And, uh, and, I, and I, I'm speaking to myself. I hope you realize that. I'm not uh, preaching as a person who, who uh, has uh, performed to the level that I believe the Lord wants us to. Uh, I, 
I don't feel like I'm a compassionate or merciful person. Uh, often the Lord will have to really uh, stick something run, right under my nose before I'm, I'm opening my eyes and I'm recognizing that there's a real need there. And I, I try to shy away from it myself. But every time that I didn't, every time that I was willing to, okay, Lord, I, I recognize you really want me to do this. And yes, here's, here's some time I have. I, I have this hour. I can go ahead and, 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 and do or attempt <laughs> to do what I sense you want me to do, encouraging uh, this person or, or that person. Uh, always, I walk away full. I walk away full, taking with me more than I brought into the bargain. Uh, the blessing that God uh, brings through our ministry uh, to others and the blessing to ourselves that we take away from it are always so much more uh, than we give that uh, we, really, we really ought to be willing to let God work in us and through us uh, as he desires to to fill us with this motivation of mercy, uh, we ought to let him, let him drive us to, uh, to exercise it, to grow in it. Uh, clearly, the disciples had a lot of growing to do, and yet these were men that uh, left home and family to follow Jesus in this ministry, and we can see how much room they had to grow. Certainly, uh, we have room to grow. And praise the Lord, he doesn't give up on us. He continues to work uh, in us uh, and through us as we uh, continue to look to him to, to do so. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your heart of mercy. Where would we be uh, today without your mercy uh, toward us? We recognize that you want us to also have hearts of mercy, hearts of compassion, hearts of grace to uh, to be willing to let you work through us in the lives of others, that they might uh, see you in us, uh, might see us in you, and, uh, and that your love, your mercy, your grace might spread uh, uh, through us to bless them too. We pray, Lord, that we would be willing <clears throat> to let you exercise that power in our lives and, uh, and, and, and see, see all the blessings you can bring and... Uh, that you might be glorified and that others might receive the blessings that we have received as well. For we ask these things in your name. Amen.